Hey, this is Dirk Revueren from Megadeth, and you're listening to GhostCultMag.com. Welcome back to the Ghost Cult Magazine podcast. I'm your host, OJ. In today's episode, Duncan Evans sat down with producer Mark Yuselli all about his new project, Mark Yuselli's Step and Doom. You can pick up Step and Doom now from Magnetic Eye Records. Hello and welcome to the Ghost Cult Magazine podcast. I'm Duncan Evans and today I am here with a very super special guest and that is Mark Yuselli three-time Grammy Award-winning music producer, sound engineer, mix engineer, live sound engineer, and just about everything else in the world. So how are you doing today, Mark? I'm doing great, Duncan. How are you? Yeah, not too bad at all. Yeah, all the better for uh, getting to chat to you today. Um, So in a second, we can talk about um, sort of what you do generally and all that, but um, we're here to talk about a new project um, and the album's just released or just been released, and that is Mark Yuselli's Step and Doom, um, which is going to be of great interest to Ghost Cult magazine readers and podcast listeners. Um, so if we can just take a little step back and maybe if you could just introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you do generally, and then we'll get on to this project. Okay, um, well, I'm a sound engineer and music producer and sound designer. I'm based in uh, New York and London. I've worked with uh, all sorts of people from different genres. Uh, I kind of come from rock, but have gravitated towards jazz when I moved to New York and uh, keep a foot in metal, uh, which is are my origins, basically. Um, so I have a very multifaceted uh, life and career. Uh, and I'm very proud of how I've been able to not be stuck in a box in stylistically speaking. So I like working in multiple genres. Fantastic. And I know you've worked with a whole plethora of, uh, people, you know, some absolute household names, Elton John, and then people like Nick Cave, um, Lou Reed and Marianne Faithful. Um, and yeah, and I, and I guess you've worked with millions of other people, um, some of whom we may have heard of and some of whom we may not have done. Yeah, absolutely. Everything, you know, you two, Lou Reed, Foo Fighters. I, I've spent seven years working with, for Lou Reed. Uh, I've done more than 140 records with uh, John Zorn. I've worked with the Beach Boys, you know, Jack Dijonet. Like I said, it's very varied. And I like that about my work that how I've been able to keep it varied because variety is the spice of life. If you ask me. Totally. Okay. So let's get on to the project that we're really here to talk about. So Mark Yuselli's Step and Doom. So this is an album that um, I, I saw the, the promo and I thought I've got to check this out. And um, when I listened to it, I, I have to say I was absolutely blown away. And um, so this, <clears throat> to me that this is, a, cult, a really genuine cultural and musical fusion in the truest sense. So, you know, it's dark and it's heavy and it's metal and it's dense and it's intense and it's progressive. But you've also incorporated um, this, I guess, I mean, I don't really like the phrase world music too much, but let's not get into that. But you've got throat singers involved as well. And all these styles kind of doom metal throat singing 
it all seems to combine in this utterly unique fusion. So I just wondered, where did this idea come from? I believe it's been 10 years in the making. How did it all come about? And maybe if you could tell us about some of the people who have been involved as well. Sure, you're absolutely correct. It's been 10 years in the making. Um, It's a work of love and passion because I have always had a love and passion for both throat singing and um, uh, doom metal. So for those, uh, for the listeners who don't know what throat singing is, it's a uh, type of overtone singing that is very popular in Tuva and Siberia and Mongolia. Uh, And basically, basically it consists in in uh, singers creating overtones that can be either very very low and guttural or very very high and high you know high pitched stuff that always almost sounds like a moog keyboard um and i always loved that i grew up in italy where there's a version of that in the island of sardinia um so anyway make things short i've decided well not decided i always thought that throat singing uh would be a perfect uh, complement to doom metal because they're both so low and so guttural and so uh, deep and cavernous. And so I've uh, embarked on this journey of uh, writing these songs and then inviting throat singers from Tuva, Mongolia, Siberia, one guy from France, a couple of women from the Inuit tradition in British Columbia to be a part of it. And so... Uh, but it's because it comes from doom metal. I wanted all the doom metal influences I've had in my life, or at least those I could reach to be a part of it as well. So I have Matt Pike from sleep and high on fire, Aaron Eddy from paradise lost, uh, Steve until from neurosis, uh, you know, so many great guests. There's friends like Trace Bruins from secret chiefs and or Mr. Bungle. Um, there's, uh, Johannes person of cult of Luna, uh, Massimo Pupillo of Zoo, Laurie S. of Acid King, Norman Westberg of Swans, members of The Obsessed, St. Vitus, uh, uh, you know, Scott Wino, Dave Chandler, it's, and so on and so forth. And for the throat singers, we have um, Batsorig Banchik from the band Kushungtan. We have the famous Hunurtu, who are kind of like the fathers of the genre. They're some of the older generation that everyone looks up to. They're a quartet, four men singing. Uh, there's Tanya Tagak, who's this Inuit singer that does mostly improvising throat singing from BC. Uh, Albert Kuvetsin from Yatka. He's, he used to be a member of Hunurtu and uh, has a, his own career. He was one of the first actually in Tuba who wanted to, um, to incorporate rock with, uh, with, um, throat singing. And you know, many years ago, 20 or 30 years ago, he released a, uh, a record of rock covers like ACDC and Queen covers done with throat singing, but it didn't have, if you listen to it, it's a great, it's a great record, but it didn't have like the amount of power and distortion that Step and Doom have, has, which, and, you know, he commented on that as well in the liner notes of the album. He said, he's always been chasing the idea of this powerful, uh, combination. Anyway, going on proceeding with the list of artists, there's Alash Ensemble, another very highly regarded, uh, ensemble of throat singers, Utelo, um, Altan Urag member er- Erka is a part of it, and uh, Alexei Tejin of Furpa is a part of it. Um, so 
you know, a lot of variety, even geographically speaking. So I've always thought of this as a bridge of cultures and cultures being different places, different countries in the world, but also different musical cultures, because there's never been any crossover between, you know, these, as you said, world singer or global music uh, representatives of throat singing with uh, metal. Sure. So, yeah, so I guess building on that then, um, what I wondered was in this cultural collaboration, this cultural fusion, how aware were the performers from these, I guess, normally very separate worlds of the the other world, if you see what I mean? Like, did the throat singers know about what doom metal was? Did they know any of these bands or performers? And vice versa, um, were some of the metal performers very aware of some of these throat singers and very aware of the style? Or was it very much like actually something they didn't know about and it was, you know, kind of opening up that door for them into a new world? I think most throat singers didn't know much about um, uh, metal or you know, do metal uh, specifically at all. In fact, some of these throat singers uh, are nomad people that live in yurts. So I had to employ uh, translators. I had to employ, employ people on horses to go and fetch these people from their yurts, wherever they are, because they're nomad and they move their yurts with the seasons. Uh, so it wasn't easy, which is part of why it took 10 years to make it. Uh, the, you know, these some of them are very insular people that live very uh, in, in their tribes. Other people live in towns and cities. But, uh, um, you know, I think they're mostly unaware of the metal scene, uh, except for maybe, you know, uh, like I mentioned, Albert Kuvetsi of Yatka, I'm sure he might've known some of the bands that were involved to be ahead of time or Tanya Tagak, because she lives in, you know, in, uh, Northern America, shall we call it Canada. Um, and, uh, but the other way is I think more likely to have been the case. For example, Steve Von Till from Neurosis was super excited to be a part of this because he's always been a lover himself of throat singing. So when I first approached Steve about it, he said, wow, I've always wanted to work with throat singers. I never had a chance. He was very grateful to have the chance to do so. And in my initial email, which I just unearthed a few like a month ago when I was going through old correspondence about this record, I, I saw an email from Steve that dates back almost seven or eight years ago where he said, I'd love to do something with Albert from Yatka. And so obviously I have uh, paired the two of them up on the same track because that was Steve's wish. And it was also musically very uh, complimenting to each other. So some, some of the do metal people were aware of the throat singers, you know, Hunur too is a band that's, that's been, you know, I believe even Grammy nominated, or if not, they've, they've definitely been popular in the years and they tour, uh, the Western world regularly. So a lot of people know about Hunur too. They've been around the block for a while. So talking about the, the throat singers then that maybe weren't really aware of, uh, heavy metal, doom metal, were they very open to this collaboration and were they sort of pleased with the results or was, it, was there any resistance or, um, you know, dif difficulty in trying to coax them into doing this? No, there wasn't any difficulty. I mean, those who agreed to do it um, just did it. And, uh, but the, there wasn't very, uh, they, they basically trusted me to do what was best. You know, they didn't, they they were not dif being difficult. They were not asking me how I'm going to use 
you know, this or that, or what am I going to do, who they're going to be with on the tracks, you know, they just trusted me. Uh, so I sent them a track that had either drums and bass or no guitar or drums, bass and guitar. And I said, this is the track that I think you, you, you would be best on. Let me know what you can do. Um, for the most in 90% of the cases, it went this way and it went really well. Uh, in, uh, two cases, maybe, uh, the singers, uh, sang something before, um, bef before I even had the track ready. Uh, and so I had to adapt, I had to adapt the singing to the track. Uh, and there's one song that's only present as a bonus track on the, on the box set version and the CD version, uh, the CD art book version, I should say, that ha is a 33 minute long track that, that was actually built around the other way around. It was built around the vocal performance of Alex A. Tejin of Purpa. Uh, he sent me like this 30 minute long, uh, you know, almost meditation ceremony singing, which was incredible. He had, he was playing some, uh, some balls, uh, and he was singing and it was so beautiful that I decided to not cut it up into pieces and just use the whole 30 minutes. And that's the track that was built around the vocals rather than the other way around. So all the tracks were built around the drum space demos that I did. And the last, the 33 minute one. Uh, was built around the vocal performance. And then I, and so it's a very droney, uh, the, most of the songs are riff based, but that one is very droney and has Wino of the obsessed Dave Chandler, of St. Whitus, both doing like feedbacks and, and Ebos and things like that. Norman Westberg of swans and then percussions by Anders Moller and other people. Anders Moller is a member of Olber. Yes. Yeah, I know that's that's really cool, that way of collaborating. And that, that, in a way, it answers one of my future questions, which was about how that process worked with the composition. So it sounds like you were very open to being led by the other collaborators if they had ideas themselves um, that would work. Um, but were there some tracks where you'd really structured everything out and where you were you were kind of, you, you'd maybe um, written the guitar riffs, at least in a basic form, and um, the players kind of just embellished that or was it quite open and you said look here's a backing track just do your thing well it's it's a mixture basically there's eight tracks on the record six tracks are very riff based so i wrote drums and bass i played a 12 string distorted bass which in its own when you hear it is sounds like a massive wall of sound before you even add distorted guitar so you can imagine how much low and then how much you know sub harmonics are on this record uh, so I recorded the drums myself at Eastside Sound in New York. I played the bass uh, myself in New York, distorted, like I said, distorted 12 string bass. Uh, and those demos, uh, which ended up being the, the tracks on the record, I sent to uh, six, the, the six of these I sent to the, uh, to the throw singers and the doom metal players uh, for them to add on top, whatever they wanted. I gave everyone total freedom. So Steve until sent me like 10 tracks of guitar that I could choose from, uh, or, but Massimo Pupillo of the band zoo, uh, instead of playing guitar played synths, um, and trace Bruins also, even though he's a guitar player chose to do a synth and string arrangement. So some people, most people did guitars from the doom metal scene. I mean, uh, some people did synths, and then the two other tracks of the eight that are not riff based, those were built around 
basically a, a drone type of performance. So the one, the, the track with Christopher Yule from Heilung um, is basically a drone performance that I did on the bass. So it has no drums, but Christopher added percussions to it. And the other one is the 30 minute long that I mentioned, which is on the art book and box set versions only. Um, yeah, it sounds like a, a joy to have uh, been involved uh, with. Um, and did, did it feel like that when it when it finally sort of came together? You know, was the whole process just a great labor of love? Um, or were there, were there challenges along the way in times when you got frustrated with it? Well, absolutely. I mean, the greatest challenge was time. It took me 10 years, partly because it was so hard to get everyone involved and reach everyone, but also partly because of my schedule. I am a, you know, a recording engineer, a music producer. I work almost every single day of my life in the recording studio. So it's hard for me um, to make time for my own projects. In fact, uh, I have to be um, thankful, quote unquote, if you can say that to the pandemic for allowing me to finish it. Cause that's really when I kicked it into high gear, when, you know, the world was stopped and there wasn't as much work as before. That's when I really was like, it's time to finish this record I've had, you know, sitting on the back burner for so long. And so, you know, I finished it during the pandemic and then thanks to Matt Bacon uh, of Bacon Bits, I was connected to Magnetic Eye. Matt Bacon was the executive co-producer on the record. Uh, Magnetic Eye um, allowed me to, uh, were interested in the project and allowed me to put it out in this wonderful way. They've basically made a box set that has um, a 12 inch, uh, marble colored vinyl, blue vinyl, a seven inch with the, with two bonus tracks, a beautiful art book of 48 pages with photos of Tuvai Mongolia that I chose from two photographers, uh, and some poster prints. And that's, that's the box set version. Then there's the art book version that I mentioned before, which has the same 48 page art book plus a, uh, extended version CD that has all of the tracks. And then obviously there's the various vinyl only releases. There's a red colored vinyl, a yellow colored vinyl, a black vinyl, and a regular CD. And all these different versions, which by, by the way, you can check out on Bandcamp, um, were put out by Magnetic Eye. It was a fantastic label that's perfect for this project because if you look at their, uh, their roster of artists, they do as many metal records as they do, shall we call them global music records. Uh, you know, they have this beautiful record of Bulgarian, uh, voices with Lisa Gerard. It's amazing just to cut in. It's a fantastic record. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. 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 I love that record. So as you, you know, as you can tell, it's the perfect label for this kind of project. And I'm very happy to, uh, to be connected to them. I, I'm also doing some other things with them that are in the works now. And um, yeah, to answer your question, it was a, a great labor of love. And I felt very relieved when it finally came on because I can move on to other projects. Yeah, so just just to get into the, I guess the nitty gritty of um, the, the mix process and sort of pulling it all together. So to me, in spite of the fact that there were so many different people involved and even some of the tracks were, as, as you've explained, were built up in very different ways, the whole thing is incredibly cohesive and it really does, it sounds like one band, even though it's that's not exactly what this is. 
Um, so I, I wonder, was was that quite a challenge to to mix it to to get it to sound like that, or did it really just flow naturally because you've been at the helm right from the start? Or how did you get it to be so cohesive? Basically, is what I'm saying. I mean, that is the work of a producer, basically. My vision as the producer of this album is to create something that's as diverse as possible, musically speaking, uh, but also consisting consistent and homogenous to a degree because it's going to be on the same album. It's part of the same project. Obviously, having the same track, the same uh, drums and bass basic tracks helped a lot in the cohesion um, and having the a person myself or having the overarching vision of the project also helped a lot. And, uh, you know, I mean, you're, you're, I'm trying to be modest here, but you're paying me a compliment because it was my work, uh, as a producer that made sure that it, that it ends up sounding as one record. And that's part of what the producer does. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the balance and the separation is is wonderful. And I think it is, it's always a challenge making things, um, you know, crushingly heavy and intense, but still giving space for everything. And, and I guess that's even more of a challenge when you've got, as you alluded to earlier, you've got throat singers singing low and droney, and then you've got the droning doom guitars, low and droney. Um, but obviously, you know, you've absolutely nailed it. Everything has its place and the, the stereo spectrum's incredible as well. And there's some, there's some head spinning effects that are, that are, Great. So, I mean, I can imagine it being being a joy to to mix this, uh, but I can also imagine those frequencies being, you know, there being some frequency clashes where you're really having to make the space for the throat singers not to get swamped by the guitars and vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't an easy mix. Um, and it also wasn't an easy mastering processing. I have to thank Maur Applebaum, Baum, who uh, mastered this record masterfully. Uh, if you forgive me the the choice of words. Um, he was really fantastic. And, um, he gave the last, you know, the last, uh, polishing that was, uh, necessary to really make it shine. But yeah, I mean, uh, it's a massive record with a lot of low end. Um, so it was not easy to cut it to vinyl. We did three different test pressings. Uh, we ended up, uh, we started with two in Germany that I wasn't happy with. We ended up in California with Maurer, uh, 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 overseeing the process at the bakery, um, in Cal in Los Angeles, uh, to make sure that the record really spoke and was representative of my mixes. Um, so yeah, it wasn't easy because there's so much, uh, information. There's so many sub harmonics at play, but, uh, it, we, I'm very happy with the way it ended up. So I, I guess the inevitable question is, do you have any future plans with this project? Is there going to be another release? Um, I mean, would you ever try and do this live in some capacity or is it a case of that's it, it's done, it's out there and move on to something different? Um, the The honest answer is I don't know in the sense that I would love to do a couple of shows with this, but obviously there are some very big challenges uh, due to the fact that everyone lives in a different country and place and part of the world. Not to mention Tuba, who's geographic, geopolitically part of Russia, is now off the books, obviously. So that that's that for 
Tuba, unfortunately, I feel bad for the Tuban people who are roped into this insanity of uh, the dictator Putin. Um, the Mongolians would obviously be available, but that would require a very long flight, which means money and hotels. And so really what it comes down to is we would have to have an offer from somebody that wants to do this and is able to provide the financial backing to be able to get at least one of these uh, singers here from Mongolia, which is not easy, and then get, you know, at least a, a good drummer from either Europe or America to be, uh, be a part of it. And I would play bass. So it's possible it might happen someday, but I, you know, I'm not counting on it because I know it's an expensive endeavor. Uh, for the live that is there are um, for a future record it's in the back of my head there are definitely some people that were not on this record that I would have liked to be on this record so I've I've definitely toyed with the idea of a volume two but I haven't even uh, you know I haven't even thought about it past the past the <laughs> past the initial thought it's it's an embryo in my head maybe someday it might take another 10 years, so don't hold your breath for that. But there is one uh, special collaboration that will come out in the next, I don't know, few months. That's a very special thing. We've been asked by Magnetic Eye to, I've been asked to do a um, cover of a band that I shall not name because I want Magnetic Eye to do the, uh, the honors of announcing this when it comes out. So I'll leave it at that. I'll just say that it's a seminal 90s rock band and I have one member of such seminal 90s rock band uh, collaborating with me on the track, plus two of the, uh, of the throat singers from this album, plus an incredible guitar player. Um, and that's going to be a really, really cool cover when that comes out. So that's going to be the next Step and Doom release, just one song uh, on this compilation that's going to come out. Amazing. That sounds very tantalizing. I can't wait to, to find out more about that and to hear it. Um, and if anyone's out there listening who would be able to set up that live performance or a few shows or whatever, then you never know. Get in touch with Mark and maybe it can happen. Absolutely. Where there's a will, there's a way. So we're coming just about to the end um, now, Mark. So is, is there anything else you'd like to um, tell us about? So you've said um, people can get the record on Bandcamp. Um, there's all these different editions and they all look absolutely wonderful. Um, is there any other info you'd like to give people listening? Um, yeah, I mean, I would urge people to go to Bandcamp. The address is stependoom.bandcamp.com and they can see all the different ish, uh, releases. Uh, the prices are go from nine dollars for the digital version of the album to um, uh, ninety three dollars for the big box set that I mentioned before. So <clears throat> the uh, box set is definitely if you if they if the listeners can af afford it or feel like it's worth the expenditure, I would recommend getting the box set because you get everything and because the book is so beautiful. But if you're a CD person, you can just get the art book because at least you get all the tracks of the album and the art book with these beautiful pictures. Um, other than that, uh, you know, stay tuned for that, for that compilation with the special track that I just mentioned. Um, yeah. And then there's all the other projects that I'm working on in my life, which are taking, you know, 
taking a lot of my time, but are going to be amazing. Fantastic. Well, it has been a joy and an honor to speak to you, Mark. Um, you know, what an amazing, unique record. People can check it out. Um, if, if, you know, if you're into heavy music, progressive music, then there's, there's so much here. Um, in fact, I, I have to say I struggled. There's so much to talk about on this record. I struggled to narrow down the number of questions so that it wouldn't take three hours to do the interview. Um, but there's just so, so much there. It's very dense in the best possible way. Um, so I, I guess um, with that, we are pretty much done, Mark. So thank you so much for joining us here on the Ghost Cult Magazine podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I, I love Ghost Cult Magazine, so I'm happy to be on it. And uh, I hope people will check out the record and uh, have an open mind because this record does require an open mind. And uh, stay tuned for, uh, you know, future things. Um, I just started working on a Ramones tribute record uh, that's going to come out with some cool, cool metal bands that I can't talk about yet. So uh, stay tuned for that. It's going to be my next big project. Again, super tantalizing. Um, thanks so much, Mark. All the best and goodbye. Thank you. Thank you, Duncan. Thanks for having me, everyone. Bye. This has been another episode of the Ghost Cult Magazine podcast. Check us out at ghostcultmag.com and follow our socials at Ghost Cult Mag. Until the next time, peace.